I want to read our text first for us this morning. It's going to be Luke 2, and we're going to read 8 through 14. Luke 2, 8 through 14, and the verses will be on the screens. Luke says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, a, was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is, with whom he is well pleased. And I want to focus this morning, just briefly in this brief time we have, on those verses 10 and 11. 10 and 11. These are really uh, common verses to hear during this season. And I don't want us to miss a few things in these verses that I think are um, of utmost importance. And it really comes down to this day, this, this word of news. When the angels say, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And I want to just briefly have you think about news. Like, what is news? Right? Just stop and think about that, right? News is something that has been passed on to you or someone else of something that's already happened. Something that's already happened. And the person receiving the news is just, the, is just a person who can respond. The news has been done, right? It's something that's already happened. You're hearing it, and we can respond. That's kind of the purpose of news. And one of the best illustrations of this, and I love this scene from a movie, and maybe some of you kids in the room have seen this movie, but it's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, I'm sure the book is more common, more popular, but um, I love the movie because you get the visual of this, but when the kids are fighting that last battle, and they are, they're getting beat. They're, getting, they're, they're holding their own, but they're getting beat. Peter is there fighting the witch, and he's holding her off. He's giving it a great shot, but he is, he's about done. He's, he is not going to win this battle. And at this point, all of the people in the battle think Aslan's dead, right? They left him behind. He's dead. Um, they put him on the stone tablet. And the only people that know he's alive at this point are the two girls, right? And they see they were with him when he rose. He goes and gets the army of the frozen statues, and he's coming. He's coming to join the battle. And right before he, he appears on the hill in, in, in radiant light all around him, you can, if you put yourself in the, in, the, in, the, in the position of that army, they're defeated. They're done. And the moment he appears, it's like he's announcing himself. And we know from Lewis's allegory that this is the Jesus figure, right? This is Jesus coming back from the dead and announcing himself to the world. And everything changes based off that news, right? He isn't himself coming. Aslan is saying, I'm, I'm alive. I'm here. And it doesn't take about, but about 10 seconds in the movie, and that battle's done, right? He, he, he runs down the hill, pounces on the queen, the queen is finished, and then it skips on to another scene, right? It's, it's, it's over. 
And that news of Aslan's coming, him, his coming back from the dead, was the best news that that army could have, could have felt, could have experienced, could have heard in that moment and seen in this story, right? Because he embodies that news. <clears throat> and that's the thing about news. It, it could be good, it could be bad, or it could be kind of neutral. It could be somewhere in between. And so when the angels say, I bring you good news, we need to pay attention. Like, what is this good news? Right? Because the gospel or the news of Jesus' arrival is good news. Right? And notice the angels just announce it. They don't give directions. They're not there to teach. They're not there to give advice. They're not there to encourage. They are just messengers. They're saying, I bring you good news of what has happened. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. They're communicating to the shepherds something that has already happened. And the shepherds, the recipients of this, have nothing to do with these events. They're just the recipients of this news. What has happened has happened. But so often, we miss this in our walk with God. Right? We miss this because we think that when it comes to our salvation, we have something to do with it. Right? We want to take God's grace and say, well, what do I need to do? What about me? Right? How, and we ask questions like, how are we doing? What, what do we need to do to make us right with God? Yeah, 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 I get that Jesus did all that stuff, but what do I need to do now? How, how do I need to live? And the Bible from beginning to end tells us, shows us, that Christianity is primarily about news of what God has done in Jesus. It's not a religion of lists. It's not primarily a religion of good advice. It's not primarily a religion of, hey, go be good and moral people. At its heart, at its foundation, this news, this message, this, this faith we have is about a person. And that person is Jesus and what he has done. But we miss this, right? We almost hear this Jesus' work as advice, counsel about something that we need to do that hasn't happened yet, right? And there's this expectation we get that maybe we can do something about it. Because when you give somebody advice, the person receiving the advice is kind of expected to take that advice and go do something with it, right? News, again, is a report about something that has happened. You can't do anything about it. It's been done for you, and all you have to do is respond. Kids in the room, once you look back up here, right? You, you know this. This happens all the time to you. Let's just say at dinner time, you, you kind of maybe in the back of your mind have this idea, is the news about dessert going to be good or is the news about dessert going to be bad? Either I'm going to get dessert, that's going to come out of your parents' mouths or grandparents or whoever you're with, and if, it's, if it says, yes, you get dessert, that's good news, Right? It's happening. It's going to be done. That dessert is waiting for you. Or if it's no, that's bad news, right? And there's nothing you can do about it at that point. That decision's been made, right? So we feel this all the time. And this is why I think Matthew in his gospel, um, he's one of the gospel writers, he starts his gospel with a genealogy. It's kind of strange, right? You're reading through your Bible and you come to Matthew and it gets really boring quick because you're like, wait a minute, this is the beginning of the New Testament and I'm getting this like genealogy of so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so, right? And it can be confusing for us because we're not used to just reading genealogies. 
But there's a reason for Matthew doing this. The first reason is he's grounding everything he's about to say in his gospel in history. Like he's recording it. Like this happened. You can trace it back in a family tree in these genealogies, which would have been kept and would have been popular in that day and age. Those were kind of special, sacred. So by him referring to that first, he's grounding it in history. He's saying this isn't a fairy tale. This isn't made up. This isn't once upon a time. This happened. That's one reason where he does it. Every belief system and even some churches communicate salvation. And even we, again, buy into this as, as advice to be believing. Right? You have to work hard for your salvation. You have to pray this much. You have to give this much. You have, here's five steps to discover your true self, which is another way of saying discovering your own salvation, which doesn't work. Even the commercials and ads we see, especially during this time of year, but all year long, are promising some way to salvation, giving you, promising you what you ultimately want, right? They're just hand, trying to hand you what you would hope to believe is pieces of salvation. Again, the biblical gospel said there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation, nothing. This is why God had to come to us in human form, in the person of Jesus, this Savior that we make so much of during this time of year, because this is his entry into our world, his birth. His being born like any, any of us had been born, having the same developmental patterns as all of us, eating the different foods at different seasons, having maturing at different rates the same way that we do in different ways, right? And ultimately, he would come to stand in our place. He would take the punishment that we deserve, paying for our sins. God had to come to us because we couldn't save ourselves. This is why the angels say it is news of great joy. It should produce joy in us. Why? Because the Savior's been born. Like he's here, the Messiah's here, the one to reconcile humanity to God to take away sins. Yeah, the biblical gospel is a message about something that has already happened. And our role is to respond to what has happened through belief. At least that's, that's the hope. God hopes we believe in Jesus, would hope that we would put our faith in Jesus. Not everybody does. We respond by ignoring the news, thinking the news is wrong, thinking the news is not accurate, thinking the news didn't happen, or saying, yes, I'm putting my faith in this news. We have different ways we can respond. Maybe questions like, did God really become a human being? Did he really die the death that is recorded in history in a lot of places? Did he really rise from the dead? But so often we get in, again, get in the way of this news idea by our, and we get in our own way, right? It's our own fault, right? We, our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, made the, same, made the same mistake. We think we can create life apart from God. We know what's right and wrong apart from God. We create our own, our own identity apart from God. Either we think we know the way to find our own freedom and joy, and we kind of rebel against God and go our own way. Or we think that we, we try to add to the gospel. You know, God's grace just wasn't enough, so I need to be a really good person. That's what's most important. You know, God, God, God sending his son Jesus to die in our place wasn't enough. Surely there's more. Surely that I need to be a good person. Surely I need to kind of create this list that I need to keep up with in order to earn our salvation. And this never, you can never achieve this. This never works. We'll never be able to measure up. We'll eventually fail in that endeavor. 
And what is in, usually hap, ends up happening, as I've talked to people, is that at the core, we really don't believe God loves us. We really don't believe God could love us based off of who we are, what we've done, mistakes we've made, the life we lived up to this point apart from him. Surely he can't love a person like me, we say. We get in his genealogy, there's a reason, another reason why Matthew includes it at the beginning of his gospel. He's not only grounding the events surrounding Jesus in history, he's also communicating the kind of people who can be reconciled to God through his grace. Sometime, we don't have time tonight, but go through that genealogy and do an do a Old Testament study of the names that are mentioned in that genealogy. It's mind-blowing the people that God would choose to include in the bloodline of Jesus. Like the Messiah, the Savior, has pretty scandalous people in his bloodline. And we would think, well, no, he would choose the best, right? He would choose the, the purest bloodline for the per No, that's not how God works. God consistently chooses the broken, the imperfect, the outcast, the outsider to be a part of his purposes. In this list, we have Gentiles, people who were not Jewish. They weren't of pure Jewish blood. Prostitutes, people involved in scandalous relationships. A guy who murdered one of his best friends so he could be with his friend's wife. That's King David, by the way, in the bloodline of Jesus. And it ends with Mary, right? An unlikely teenage girl, not important by any world standards, who became pregnant before she was married, carrying Jesus, which created a whole awkward thing for Mary and Joseph. It's quite an unlikely group, that genealogy. And this is such good news for us. Like if Jesus came from this, surely he accepts us because of what Jesus has done. Back when Matthew wrote his gospel, um, your genealogy was kind of like a resume. It was, it was, it was important for, for where you came from. Like we kind of doctor and tweak our resume, move things around, leave things out. So it will look better, right? That's the point of a resume. <laughs> the genealogy was like that in the sense that people would kind of leave certain people out of that genealogy. They would kind of doctor that, tweak it a little bit. King Herod was known for leaving a lot of people out of his genealogy so he wouldn't be associated with them. And because we don't see the person and work of Jesus as good news, when we fall, fail in life, which we will, when we don't walk in God's ways, which we, none of us can perfectly, we'll feel shame, we'll feel inadequacy, maybe in a sense of uncleanliness, if we believe it's up to us, if we're our own savior. But again, think about the people in this list. Outsiders, rebels, broken, needy, humble, all the people in Jesus' bloodline. These are the kind of people that God wants to save. Broken, imperfect, needy, humble. People who will admit that they can't do it on their own and they need a savior. So how should we respond tonight? How should we respond? What's our application from moving, uh, leaving this place? I think we first off respond in belief. Like, do you believe this? Do you believe this good news? That it happened? That Jesus was who he says he was. That these stories in the Bible aren't just made up fairy tales. They're actually true accounts of the person and work of Jesus. So I think if you're already a Christian here in this room, I would pray that hopefully during this season, tonight, tomorrow, that this would deepen your belief. Maybe you have a level of belief, but this would deepen it. To think about 
the news, who has made you who you are, has given you this identity, not because of your works, not because of how good you are, but because of how good Jesus was. Maybe if you're not, you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus. And maybe you trust that his grace is enough for you. Maybe, maybe your past has been holding you back. Maybe you think you have to bring him something. You have to come, you have to leave some of that, maybe that behavior behind. Or there's a past you just can't get past. There's something that you can't get over to believe in the gospel. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to Jesus. So maybe you believe for the first time tonight. That would be my hope. So belief is number one. Number two is to believe that God can use people like you and I. A broken, imperfect, needy, hopefully humble, people who've been humbled probably. And yet we see constantly in the Bible that he chooses to do crazy Awesome things through people who don't really deserve it, <laughs> who the world wouldn't choose to do those things. So he wants to use us. So as we close, we're about to, we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to light some candles after that, this first song, and then sing another song to close. And when we're singing um, these songs, especially this first one, O Holy Night, I want you to respond to the words in this song. This song is filled with deep, meaningful language about this good news, I want you to respond by singing. Worship. Remember what this news is, what this news brought. I pray this, this isn't another um, Christmas carol. You've probably, this is probably the 200th time you've heard this song in the last month. But focus on the words. Remember this is communicating a message of events that have already taken place and now we're responding. And then tonight and tomorrow as you celebrate, and hopefully those are good occasions, I want you to try to not produce hope and peace and love and joy from inside. Don't try to muster up these feelings. Humble yourself and lean into his grace. Remember the news and allow that to help you um, have those feelings that come from outside of yourself. Because it's exhausting to fake it. <laughs> it's exhausting to fake peace and joy and hope. But the news supernaturally through God's spirit allows us to have those things. It's born of faith and not of ourselves. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing some more. Father, I'm thankful for uh, the word. Knowing that the, the Christmas story that Madison read, all the, a lot of the things we talk about surrounding Jesus, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know that without the Bible. So I'm thankful for how you've revealed yourself to us through your word. And I pray we would just respond this morning. Like the angels shared this news with the shepherds, they had a choice to respond, to, to go to Jesus or to not. And I pray this morning we would respond. We would move closer to you. We would lean in. We would maybe ask hard questions that we need to ask. We wouldn't put things off that we've been putting off that are getting in the way of us truly having faith in your son. So help us this morning. I pray that you would be honored through our singing and that as we leave this place um, tonight and through tomorrow that you would be honored above everything else. It's in your son's name we pray.